the Texas heartbeat bill goes into effect while pro-abortion activists lose their minds. We discuss the spiritual reason why people are so desperate to keep abortion legal. And we discuss the topic of forgiveness. My name is Sean Clifton, and this is God of Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So if you always want to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, Anchor is for you. Anchor is very simple to use, and it's also free. All you do is simply record your audio from your phone, computer, laptop, wherever, edit it, and then post it. You can monetize it with, it with sponsorships or donation buttons, or you can distribute it to sites like our podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out at anchor.fm or download the app. Because anchor.fm or download the app. Alrighty, so we are back up. I hope everyone is having such a great week. So we have a lot to get to today, so just jump right into it. Alright, so... You're probably expecting me to continue to talk about this the situation with Afghanistan and all that. Um, I kind of just mentioned it briefly before we really dive into what I want to talk about. So obviously, um, this past on Monday, this past week, um, the last of the troops in, um, in Afghanistan uh, left the country, with still about hundreds, about a few hundred Americans still trapped in Afghanistan. Was still, according to some uh, reports, the vast majority of Afghans who helped us out during the war, they're still stuck there. So, again, like I've been saying, this whole thing has been a complete and utter disaster. And um, there's no one to blame but President Biden for this. You know, President Biden's trying to, you know, push it on other. Other people trying to blame Trump for it, trying to blame Afghanistan, the Afghans for it, try to blame the military for it. When in reality, this is all his fault. This is all his fault right here, all of it. And, but unfortunately, he's not going to face any consequences. There's no way that he's going to be impeached for this, even though he should. He's not going to resign, even though he should, because this is the way. It works for Democrats, for or, or for a lot of politicians actually, where you know they do something pretty ho- horrible and they don't face any consequences for it, like none. And of course, Republicans who don't have the balls to actually do anything about it. I mean, Mitch McConnell came out saying, "No, we're not going to impeach. Um, we're not going to convict or impeach uh, President Biden or anything like that." Which okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I mean. He should be impeached because, I mean, what he did was way worse than what President Trump did. And he was impeached twice for both of those things. And President Biden, this, his thing was completely way worse than what President Trump supposedly did. But, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. It's not going to happen. He's going to try to distract from this. And he's big on the... Reality that people are going to start forgetting about this, which is going to happen, unfortunately. Most, give them maybe a few week, more weeks, and most people will have this out of their minds. But we'll see. Maybe, maybe this is different. Maybe this will stick with people's minds until uh, so forth. But we'll see. But again, this is, I'm not going to, this is all I'm going to spend, uh, how much time I'm going to actually spend on the topic, this topic, because, I think the topic at hand 
that what I'm talking about is probably a, a little more, more important because it has to deal deal with the sanctity sanctity sorry excuse me the sanctity of life and that is um the implementation of the Texas, the Harvey bill in Texas so I'm going to get to kind of what this um the Harvey bill what it is and what it does and what it doesn't do and all that okay so but first off, I want to kind of give you kind of a brief update or overview on the history of kind of abortion laws here in the United States. So for many years before the 1970s, when Roe v. Wade first came came into light, um, abortion was a state completely state issue. There are some some states that um, completely allowed it, but other states, you know, of course, um, banned it completely. And it wasn't until, I think, was it 1973, I believe? Yeah, it was 1973, around there, where Roe v. Wade, uh, that's when Roe v. Wade came, and the pro-abortion lobby decided to use Roe, uh, the lady the lady in, in the trial, to push abortion, not only to push abortion, but to make it to where it is somehow, it's, it's the law of the land. And so what happened was with the Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decided that um, abortion was protected under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which if you look at the text, the text of the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there that suggests that somehow a, like, some, a right to kill your unborn baby is in there. There's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that states that. But somehow they wiggled it, kind of, they did this by really kind of just dumbing down of what abortion is and like, like, and trying to take away the person, the personhood of the baby inside. So they just, they, they classified as, you know, the baby inside as just a fetus, a clump of cells and all that. And that it was not actual an actual human being, which with that kind of identification gave them wicker room to push this, um, this, 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 uh, decision. So when Way came by, that's when pretty much all abortion bans all throughout the United States were completely taken away. It became a constitutional right, even though it really isn't. And from there, from there, for years, the pro-life movement has really fought hard to try to push, try to really, you know, not only re repeal, um, overturn Roe v. Wade, but to make abortion legal and unthinkable. See, that that's kind of the, uh, kind of the misinterpretation of the pro-life movement that people often mistake is that all, the only they were interested in is just making abortion illegal? No, we're also making, uh, we're also pushing to make abortion unthinkable. And this is probably the really that's the best way to make it illegal is to make it unthinkable, to share the facts of what abortion is, and to share the facts of how the baby is developed in the womb. And th thankfully, with the developing technology we have today. 
that's becoming more and more easier because we can see the baby with their ultrasound and all that much earlier than we were able to before. And you could, you, and this, the, not only that, just within really just the first few weeks um, after conception, the baby is already developing a whole lot. Like the heart is already developing. You can start seeing some limbs, some organs, and then kind of see the features of the nose, the eyes, the ears, and all that. I mean, so to say that you look at that and say, oh, that's not a baby, that's just a clump of cells. You have to be really kind of, you have to be lying or really morally <laughs> depraved. I'm really more morally depraved to kind of think of that, oh, that's not a baby, that's just a clump of cells, we can slaughter it or whatever. But also, not only with the science of how the baby is developed, developed, but also showing the reality of how, what happens during an abortion a lot of times. There's many different forms of abortion, whether it's through like poisoning or or whatever, like delivering or whatever, yeah, mostly poisoning, but also tearing, like, really ripping the baby apart in the womb. I mean, I'm, I'm literally here. And this is just... This is just one of the reasons why abortion be, should be illegal. I mean, really, the main reason why abortion should be illegal is because it's murder. Because the fact is, the reality is, is that baby inside there is baby. It is a human being. It is a life. Because trust me, if that if that life, if those like if even the tiniest cells that are in the most warm during development were found on Mars, that would be considered by all scientists life. But somehow, in the womb, that's not life. It is. It, it, it isn't. Somehow, which which does not make any sense whatsoever. You can't say that this is like that the fetus is a life. Outside the womb, on like a different planet, but in the in the womb, it's just oh, just a clump of cells and not life or anything. Like there's some very inconsistent um, stuff being said here, but people really don't know the reality of an abortion and what happens to during it. So here's actually a video of what happens during a this is in the second trimester. So by, th by this point, you can t it's already looking much like a baby. Yeah. Alrighty, so sorry, my video just stopped randomly. So like I said, um, I'm going to show a video of the of second trimester abortion. And again, by the second trimester, you can tell that it looks like a baby. All the arms are developing, the eyes, the ears, the organs, the heart is developed, the brain, and everything. So it looks like a baby. It's small, but it looks a lot like a baby. Because it is. But this is what happens during a second trimester medical abortion. And it's, it's, it's horrible. But just, um, as a fair warning, it is pretty graphic. So, um, if you want to skip over it, um, please do. It's about three minutes long. But here's the video right here.
formed between 13 and 24 weeks of pregnancy. After administering anesthesia, the abortionist uses a weighted speculum, like this one, that opens the vagina widely. Because second trimester babies are so large, this greater access facilitates a late-term abortion. Late-term abortion requires that the cervix be prepared 24 to 48 hours in advance with laminaria. Laminaria is a type of sterilized seaweed that absorbs water over 8 to 12 hours and swells to several times its original diameter. Once removed, metal dilators can be used to further open the cervix as needed. Once the cervix has been stretched open, the suction tube is placed inside. A baby at 20 weeks gestation is as big as the length of my hand, from head to rump, not counting the legs. The suction machine is turned on, and pale yellow amniotic fluid surrounding the baby is suctioned out through the catheters. But babies this big, they don't fit through catheters this size. The baby's bones and skull are too strong to be torn apart by suction alone. This is a sofa clamp. A sofa clamp is made of stainless steel. It's about 13 inches long. The business end is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide, and there are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. The abortionist uses this clamp to grasp an arm or leg. Once he has a firm grip, the abortionist pulls hard in order to tear the limb from the baby's body. One by one, the rest of the limbs are removed along with the intestines, the spine, and the heart and lungs. Usually the most difficult part of the procedure is extracting the baby's head, which is about the size of a large plum at 20 weeks. The head is grasped and crushed. The abortionist knows he has crushed the skull when a white substance comes out of the cervix. This was the baby's brains. The abortionist then removes skull pieces. He removes the placenta, and any leftover parts of the baby with a curette, scraping the lining of the uterus for any remaining tissue. The abortionist then collects the baby parts and reassembles them to make sure that there are two arms, two legs, and all the pieces. Once all the parts have been accounted for, the abortion is complete. For the woman, this procedure carries a significant risk of major complications, including perforation or laceration of the uterus or cervix, with possible damage to the bowel, bladder, and other maternal organs. Infection and hemorrhage can also occur, which can even lead to death. Future pregnancies are also at greater risk for loss or premature delivery due to abortion-related trauma and injury to the cervix. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm Dr. Anthony Levitino, and in the early part of my career as an OBGYN, I performed over 1,200 abortions. Yeah, that is some awful stuff right there. Some awful stuff. And that's the reality of what happens during this kind of abortion. And a lot of people want to, want to try to dumb it down saying that, oh, it's just a minor surgery. Oh, it's nothing, no, no too big deal. Just like, you know, just take a pill and then you fall asleep and oh, that's it. There's no risk to it. But the reality is, that's not what it is. You're literally... Literally ripping apart a baby and crushing a skull inside the womb. That's literally what's happened during this abortion. And not only that, the mother, the woman is, you know, she can really, if she can die from this thing, she can get a bad infection. It can affect her being pregnant later in the future. 
So this thing is not safe. Not only is it not safe, it is completely evil. It is absolutely evil. I don't understand. It boggles my mind. I don't understand how people can support this. Um, I know why people support it. Um, there's something in some sense, but it still boggles my mind. It really does. I just don't understand how you can watch that and still uh, support the act of abortion. This is it's absolutely awful. But thankfully, the pro-life movement is slowly gaining a lot of ground here. They're slowly, you know, gaining, winning people over through facts. Telling people what happens during development. Telling people what happens during abortion. And people are, you know, are waking up to that. Waking up to the reality of what actually happens during abortion. And waking up to the reality that, oh, it, it, it life does begin that exception. And science supports that. And all the, and the big, this huge movement of pro-life movement has led to the passing and even in some instances, the implementation of, of Harpy Bills, a ban that bans on abortion. So if you recall a couple years back or so, I believe it was Georgia, Alabama, I believe Louisiana as well, and maybe a few other states, I can't remember. But I know, but definitely those three states uh, passed bans on abortion at about eight weeks and over. This is around... Um, Around the time where the heart is um, developing, developing, you start seeing the heartbeat and all that. And it was passed in the Senate, the House, and um, the governors, you know, Governor Kemp signed it here in Georgia. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it was blocked by a judge, so it was never, it never went into effect. So flash forward about a couple years later, now Texas has passed a similar bill. Very, kind of very similar, and it was actually it went into effect um, this past Wednesday. So I, I don't, can't remember when exactly they actually passed it, but I do know this past Wednesday on September first, that's when it was it went into effect. So what the Texas, Texas heartbeat bill is basically is it a ban on, ban on abortions six weeks and on. And again, six weeks, six to eight weeks is when around the time where the heart is starting to, is starting to develop, you can start um, hearing and seeing the heartbeat. So at that point, you know, th- that's the point where um, once that happens, you cannot have an abortion or anything like that. So obviously this bill is not a full-on ban on abortion, like I, I would like to see. But effectively, it is. It is an abandoned abortion because of where they abandon at. So six weeks, at that point, most women don't know they're actually pregnant at that point. They usually find out at about eight weeks, nine weeks or so into pregnancy. That's when they find out. So effectively, you know, this is when abortion happens. Or, sorry, effectively, this is where... Sorry, let me start over. Effectively, abortion is banned in, te- in Texas due to this bill. And, thankfully, um, there's been no judge that has blocked it. Um, the Supreme Court has um, declined to block it and all that. 
So that's why it was able to go into effect um, this past Wednesday. And so now it is law until a judge come in, comes in and bans it or a the Supreme Court comes in and tries to block it. Right now is in effect. And thankfully the way Texas kind of worded it, it makes it very hard to actually block it. So, but again, this this is a, a very, very good thing for to happen right here. And not only that, not only is this a good thing for Texas, but it's a good thing for a, a lot of other states who want to ban abortion. Because with the Supreme Court not acting on this, this gives room for other states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida to really start to implement their bills again and try, you know pass it again and then hopefully word it had like Texas no words it and that way it can go into effect. So now there's a lot of con talk of especially around the media saying that now this this probably just overturns Roe v. Wade or anything. Unfortunately, it doesn't. It does not overturn Roe v. Wade just because of the, you know, the procedural kind of um, aspects of the Texas bill. So it doesn't effectively ban Roe v. Wade or overturn it, I mean. But this can lead on a path to that point. And I really do think at some point the Supreme Court will overturn Roe v. Wade. Because Roe v. Wade was a very it was a garbage decided decision. There's no instance in the Constitution where, if somehow it is, it is illegal, that it's the Constitution somehow supports abortion in any way. It, it, that does not make sense, and it does not hold water whatsoever. So I'm going to continue on with the, this topic and kind of the the re reactions from you know the. Pro abortion lobby and all that. But first, we got to go over YouTube or to God every and Bob check it out. So, not only get the rest of this episode regarding, you know, the abortion and, you know, kind of the, the spiritual reasons why people support abortion and also the topic of forgiveness and also the good stuff of bad stuff of the week. And remember, you find this showing up on podcast, Spotify, or wherever this is the podcast. Otherwise, I see you next week. This is the God of Freedom Show. Alrighty, so now let's continue on with this topic on abortion right here. Alrighty, so uh, let's continue on with this topic right here. So what I want to get to now is kind of the reactions from the poor abortion um, lobby. And let's just say they have completely lost their minds. They have lost their minds over this. It's been crazy to see the meltdown and everything from from this. So first, I want to read a tweet from the ACLU. This is the American Civil Liberties Union, supposed or supposedly they used to be, 
But now they're really not. They're really just their American Union. Because they no longer support civil liberties. <clears throat> Excuse me. But here's what they tweeted out about the, um, the Supreme Court not responding to the Texas Harvey bill. Here's what tweeted out. Breaking. The Supreme Court has not responded to our emergency request to block Texas radical new six-week abortion ban, SB8, the law now takes effect. Access to almost all abortion has, abortion has been cut off for millions of people. The impact will be immediate and devastating. And here's, they had a thread for it. Here's tweet number two. The law bans abortion as early as six weeks into pregnancy before many people even, people even know they're pregnant. I love how they put people instead of women. So they're still trying to hold on to that, you know, that woke, um, transgender, you know, transgenderism, whatever. The result is that many Texans will be forced to carry pregnancies against their will. Private individuals, including anti-abortion activists with no connection to patients, can now sue anyone who they believe is providing abortion or assisting someone in accessing abortion after six weeks. This could include healthcare workers, clergy, and um, rideshare drivers. The law doesn't just allow these lawsuits. It actively encourages private individuals to act as bounty hunters by awarding them at least $10,000 if they are successful. This is a racial and economic justice catastrophe. Decades of racism and social inequality within the healthcare system have left black and Latinx people and anyone trying to make ends meet with few alternatives to the cruel reality that Texas politicians have created. This is a full-scale assault on patients, our healthcare workers, and our support systems. This abortion ban is blatantly unconstitutional. It is not. We won't stop fighting until it's blocked. If you're pregnant, we want you to know there is a network of abortion funds and support networks that will do everything in the power to help you get the information and care you need. And there's a website to that to that place. So this is the ACLU openly advocated for the murdering murder of unborn babies. And they're absolutely outraged that Texas would have the audacity to stop this, to stop murder. So they're not the only one. There's this um, lady named Wendy Davis as well, who recently uh, put out a a tweet thread as well about this. And here's what she tweeted out. A thread. Today, like many of my fellow Texans, I feel a tremendous sense of mourning accompanied by an indescribable rage. I mourn the impact of a six-week ban on abortion and allowance of bounties with up to $10,000 reward if for if for private citizens to bring lawsuits against anyone who aids in helping someone receive an abortion. The defendant can, could be an abortion fund who helps pay abor- for abortion care. A defendant could be an intake person at a clinic or a medical professional volunteer. The volunteers who help ensure 
safe safety of those seeking abortion from an ever emboldened group of anti-abortion activists, and on and on and on. I mourn for the women who will no longer be have the constitutionally protected right to make these private healthcare decisions. No one is protected about from this from the six week um ban impact. Not even not even a minor who pregnancy resulted from rape of by a family member. I mourn for women who are already challenged to provide for the children they already have. Many who are single moms working for a, working for a minimum wage that makes housing and adequate food unsustainable. So she you know, she's mourning for this law and she's and has undescri- indescribable rage for it. I mean seriously, seriously, come on. Just the outrage and the meltdown over this bill has been absolutely insane. And not only that, now they have really gone off the walls and have labeled like all pro lifers, anyone who's who's part of the pro life movement who who was against abortion, they're now labeled by the left the American Taliban. I'm not kidding. This this I mean, this was uh, trending. When you know this bill first went into effect, like the American Taliban, Sharia law, and all that, like pretty much anyone who's pro-life is now part of the American Taliban, Taliban, and are now pushing a evangelical Sharia law. So here's a video. This is a from interview on MSNBC. This is a guy named uh, Frank uh, Schieffer. And talking to the host about about this, and here he called um, pro life advocates the American Taliban. And here's what the interview looked like. Here's a point most people don't understand, Joy. When we went out, the Reverend Billy Graham, the evangelist, and Dr. Criswell, who at that time was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, pastor of First. Baptist in Dallas and president of Dallas Theological Seminary. You don't get any more conservative evangelical than that. He was pro-choice, not ambivalent, but pro-choice. Our first job as right-wing activists, and I was my dad's nepotistic sidekick, and I have spent the rest of my life repenting from the fact that I did so much harm to so many people by helping to energize this anti-woman movement. It was not anti-abortion, anti-woman movement. When we went out, evangelicals were the people who wanted no part of this, and we had to talk them into this crusade. And now, fast forward 40 years, and we have a situation in Texas right now tonight where the American Taliban, because that's what it is, there's not an American evangelical right-wing movement, there is an American Taliban is weirdly similar in so many ways to the Middle Eastern Islamist terrorists. And here's another weird one. Do you know a few years ago, some of the Islamist terrorist activists in Pakistan and other countries were murdering vaccine doctors and nurses who were coming in to try to vaccinate against polio with some mythological conspiracy theories about how this was part of the U.S. government plot. Think about this tonight, Joy. The evangelical voter in Texas, who backed Donald Trump, is now also the voter who is calling vaccines some sort of government conspiracy and wanting to stop Joe Biden's program to deliver our country from the COVID virus. 
there's a weird convergence of factors here, whether it's Handmaid's Tale and taking away women's rights or whether it's the anti-vaccine movement that has grown out of this weird fascination with conspiracy theories and misinformation. Wherever you touch it, the evangelical movement is no longer the one that my dad and I tried to talk into radicalism and sadly were too successful in doing back in the 70s. Today, and I want to say this again, there is no evangelical political movement. There is a new American Taliban and their goal is theocracy, which means to take our religious beliefs, which for them are Old Testament law, not Christianity, and force secular Americans, non-evangelical Americans, progressive Americans, women, people of color into that box. And this is not hyperbole. This is happening right now tonight in Texas. This is happening right now with the people dying of COVID, children dying of COVID, because pro-lifers have seen fit to stand against Joe Biden's vaccine as a way to own the libs. And their price is to be literally bioterrorists. That's where we are tonight, George. So apparently, if you're a Christian who is, you know, pro-life and is not particularly warm towards the vaccine, um, now you're the American Taliban, you're a bioterrorist and want to implement theocracy and want to put women and people of color in chains and all that. Like, give me a break. Come on. This is not ha- no. This is not happening in the evangelical movement at all. There might be some weirdos in the movement or, or in trying to do that, but the vast majority of evangelicals do not believe that. I'm sorry, they simply don't. And no, the passing of the Harvey Bill in Texas and some Americans against, you know, vaccine vaccine mandates more or more specifically. Now, here's the thing. People often often kind of inf- conflate two things. Some people are anti-vaccine, but most people are anti-vaccine mandates. I mean, that's where I am. I'm not anti-vaccine, but I am anti-vaccine mandates. Because I don't think the government has the power or the authority to force people to get a vaccine. I simply don't. And that's why I personally won't get it, because I don't want to play into their game. <laughs> so, but somehow I'm now a bioterrorist, because I may, may have a virus, which I I don't. I don't have a virus inside me right now. But that's equivalent to the American Taliban, who harbored the 9-11 terrorists, and is... Uh, slaughter people en masse and are taking people's daughters and raping them and sending them into sex slavery or marry them off. Somehow Christians here in America and the Taliban are very equivalent according to this guy. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to go over well for you. Um, but yeah, again, this, this whole... The meltdown over this has been absolutely insane. And of course, you know, President Biden and the Biden administration and Democrats have waited in on this as well. And so, and President Biden is very, very, very upset about this. Very upset against Texas for implementing such an anti-American law 
Like, how dare he? So here is President Biden talking about the law right here. Question on abortion rights in Texas, sir. What would be your message to women in Texas, and what can your administration do to protect abortion rights on a federal level? I'm late for going down. I'm going to talk about these things from Louisiana. But uh, um, I have been, continue to be, a strong supporter of Roe v. Wade. Number one. And uh, the most pernicious thing about the Texas law, it sort of creates a vigilante system where people get rewards to go out to, anyway. And it just seems, I know this sounds ridiculous, almost un-American, what we're talking about. Not to debate about, I, under, I respect people who think that, who don't support Roe v. Wade. I respect their views. I respect them, they, those who believe life begins at the moment of conception and all. I, I respect that. Don't agree, but I respect that. I'm not going to impose that on people. But what I was told, and I must tell you, I am not certain. I was told that there are possibilities within the existing law to have the Justice Department look and see whether are there things that can be done that can limit the independent action of individuals in enforcing a federal system, a, a, a state law. I don't know enough to give you an answer yet. I've asked that to be checked. Thank you all very much. Okay, first off, this guy, again, like I keep saying, he is not there. Like he's barely sentient in during this part right here. But anyways, um, you know, what he said about, you know, about this create some sort of vigilante system. So what, what this bill also does is kind of, it allows individuals to sue abortion providers for performing abortions, you know, if they, you know, find someone who performed an abortion or anything, they can sue them. And so this, this is now one of the reasons, this is just some of the reasons why everybody is upset, but most big reasons because abortion is banned in Texas. But, you know, him saying that he respects, respects the pro-life movement and, you know, would they believe in the thing? Bullcrap. Bull crap right there. Uh and now and now we got Jen Saki who was asked about you know the president's you know thoughts on this and here's what she had to say back to the person who asked. On the Texas law, why does the president support abortion when his own Catholic faith teaches abortion is morally wrong? Well, he believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. Why does the president, who does he believe then should look out for the unborn child? He believes that it's up to a woman to make those decisions, uh, and up to a woman to make those decisions with her doctor. I know you've never faced those choices, nor have you ever been pregnant, but for women out there who have faced those choices, this is an incredibly difficult thing. The president believes their rights should be respected. Go ahead. I think we've got to move on. I think we have to move on. You've had plenty of time today. Go ahead. So basically, this, this is kind of a common argument among pro-abortion advocates, saying that because if you're not a woman, never been pregnant before, you don't you don't get to have a say so regarding, you know, abortion law and all that, which does not which does not make sense. 
especially their view of abortion is that is that it's somehow a man versus a woman thing. That's how they see it as like a bunch of men, white men specifically, trying to dictate to women what they could do with their bodies and all that. This is simply not true. Again, to part like a bit, we're not interested in controlling women's bodies. We don't care what you do with your bodies. You know, refer to respect it, but we don't we don't want to dictate it. What we do care about is the unborn child in you. The unborn child is its own body, its own DNA, and all that. It is not an organ. It is not a parasite or anything. It is a human being growing inside you. And so somehow saying that you don't get to have an opinion if you've never been pregnant, it just it does not make sense. And also the whole back back to the man versus woman thing. If you look at the pro-life movement, probably the vast majority of them are women. The vast majority of pro of pro-life of the pro-life movement is women. So that argument is, you know, thrown out of the window right there. But right now, what the Democrats are trying to do is trying to pass a I think the I think the House has um pushing a bill to, you know, make abortion the law of the land, to make it legal and all that um, federally. So in the basically in the event that Roe v. Wade is overturned, they can implement this law and they'll make abortion legal nationwide. And so very unlikely that will happen because you know I think especially in the Senate, you'll need a filibuster. I mean you need the break you need to break the filibuster in order to pass it and Likely the Republicans are going to filibuster it, unless they're going to be very dumb about it. More, more likely, it will not pass. Hopefully. All right. So, kind of then with like, the next kind of session I want to go into is kind of how the way abortion is viewed among the pro-abortion lobby. It is viewed almost as a sacrament, a, a religious sacrament. And this um, is it's a religious sacrament to this new religion. I, I coined this phrase or this word last year, and I call it woke, woke entity. It is the new leftist religion that worships self and government that, you know, values skin color and intersectionality above all else. And that when following this, following this religion, you had to believe in progressive policy, you had to believe in socialism, you had, you had to believe in, you know, the BLM stuff and all that, and CRT. And also, you gotta either participate or believe in abortion. Abortion is the highest good. It is the highest sacrament. It is, because, you know, the way abortion used to be looked on, it was that it, it should be safe, legal, and rare. But now today, it is a moral good, it's a sacrament, and if you don't get it, if you don't get an abortion and you don't support it, you're now part of the, now you're part of the American Taliban, who wants to put women and black people back in chains and all that. Which, of course, is not, not true whatsoever. But this, this is the logic they're, they're going with. And when you look at the pro-abortion lobby, you can see, you can see them 
they treat abortion as a religious sacrament. And take that away, the religion falls apart. It's truly disgusting where the religion relies a lot on the slaughtering and murdering of unborn babies. It's absolutely horrible and evil. Absolutely evil. And what's sad is that many professing Christians bought into that kind of movement last year during the race riots and all that. And look, listen, I mean, the professing Christians have no business being a part of the woke entity. None. It is not Christianity. It is enough, it is completely, completely antithetical to the gospel in any, in every way. In every way. So Christians should stay away from this. Because it is a religion of Satan. It is an evil religion. That's what it is. Because it relies solely upon the murdering of babies. But of course, there's actually a deeper reason, a spiritual reason why people are so adamant at keeping abortion legal. They want to keep it at the forefront. They want to keep it going more and more. They want to push people to have it. Because they're kind of, they're trying to cover up something else. So, Darren Harrison of the Justin and Podcast, he tweeted this out the other day, and I thought it was profoundly true. And it really kind of opened my eyes to the reality of what's going on with this. So, here's what he tweeted out. Metaphorically speaking, abortion is just another fig leaf by which we attempt to cover our own sinfulness. Let me read that again. Metaphorically speaking, abortion is just another fig leaf by which we attempt to cover our own sinfulness. So basically, what abortion is, is basically a fig leaf. Fig leaf to cover your sin. A sin that you committed. And this is exactly true. This is exactly true. So the idea of the fig leaf goes back to um, Genesis 3. So let's actually go there real quick. I want to only read about verse uh, 7 right here. Starting from verse 1 in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast among uh, other field which the Lord God had made. And he said, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you should not eat from the tree of the garden? Then the woman said to the serpent, the, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the, from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you should not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat, it from, eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight, delighted the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband in, with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them and made themselves loin coverings. 
Okay, so what happens here is basically, um, it's just a story from a lot of people know, is that the serpent was, you know, tempting Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And when that happened, you know, they, their eyes were open to both, you know, to good and evil, and they saw, you know, that they were naked, and then they were shamed by it, and they hid themselves from God. And so, abortion is exactly like this. It is an attempt to cover sin. And basically, the, the specific sin that is attempted to cover up is, of course, sexual sin. Because with sexual sin as a consequence, one of the consequences of sexual sin, like adultery and all, and fornication, you know, sex before, before marriage and all of that, or whatever, is, of course, pregnancy for women. And so what this does, so, so, like, here's an example right here. Say there's a guy who commits adultery against his wife with another woman, and that woman ends up pregnant. So in order to hide, to hide it from his wife, that, you know, he had an affair, and to keep it covered, he will likely put, he will push the woman he had an affair with to have an abortion. So that way, you know, they, their sinfulness won't come up. So, and... This is this is a reality that happens here um, happens a lot, and because the vast majority of abortions, I'm not I'm, I mean rape is a whole nother story, but even then uh, abortion is not justified justified in that instance either. But the vast majority of abortions is done on the act of convenience because they don't want to deal with the responsibility of the baby or anything, so deal with it. To avoid the consequences of um, their sinful act. And so, in the Bible is very clear on sexual sin. It, we know what it is. So let's go to Romans um, 1, chapter, um, chapter 1, verse 18. So Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 18, says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known of God is evident within him, for God is evident with, to them, made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his um, invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God and they did not honor they did not honor him as God or give thanks because they did not they became futile and their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise they became fools and exchanged with the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts and to impurity, so that their bodies will be dishonored among them. 
for they exchanged truth for a lie, truth of the God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For the reason, for this reason, God gave them over to. Sorry, for this reason, God gave them over to their two degrading passions. For the women exchanged their natural function for which is unnatural. In the same way, also the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burdened their burned burned their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their own persons due to the penalty of of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God in God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, um, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, and they are not they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So now let's go to First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. It says this, or do you not know that the, the unrighteous will not inherit the earth? Oh, sorry, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me start over. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not to be dece- do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor ravelers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And there's many more verses on this, and I actually covered this topic um, not too long ago about sexual sin. And all that. And obviously the Bible is very clear about it. It's very clear that it is an abomination. It is a sin. On all accounts. And there are consequences for it. And look. I mean, this is an area I have, stru- I have I struggle with. <laughs> even today. I was living in it for years. And I still struggle with it today. So I know. There was involved in it. I know the temptation. And, 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 and all that. But, still, there's still, that does not mean that it's okay. That does not mean that somehow I can't, I, you can't face consequences for it or anything like that. That you, you should be able to hide it or, or, or whatever with a fig leaf. But here's the thing. Thankfully, we don't need a, we don't need a fig leaf. The fig leaf is pointless. Because there is hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. So let's quickly go to John chapter 3. So John chapter 3, starting from verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man uh, must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God said of the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has already been, has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now let's go to Romans 6, chapter 6. So Romans chapter 6, at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, let's go back to 1 Corinthians right here. So, as you call the first two verses of 9 through 11 is talking about the sin that's, you know, the unrighteous will not inherit the earth or anything. But, if you go to verse 11 right here, like I read earlier, um, it says this, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the God, of Lord Jesus Christ in our spirit, in the spirit of our Lord, of our God. So what this means is, whether you committed adultery, fornication, homosexuality, or idolatry, drunkenness, or whatever, you can't be forgiven, and you will be sanctified, washed, justified, and all that, if you repent and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So there is hope in that. So the reason I say this is because... Because of how abortion is treated as a fig leaf for sexual sin, this is this is the hope that where you don't need to do that. And yes, you know, pregnancy is a consequence of sexual sin, sexual sin, but also there's a blessing from that. That is the baby. The baby is a blessing, a blessing from God. As simple as that. So again. It's because of my faith in Jesus Christ and God, and that's why I am pro-life. Because it's very clear, God made us, made all of us in His image. All of us are image bearers of God. So the idea that we somehow have the authority to take that life and play God and end it whenever we want, that's not how it works. That is, it is murder, and God, you know, forbid murder for that reason. And God made it has got made it clear in Scripture. That life begins at a conception. So for this reason, that's why I'm pro-life. And why I will continue to be pro-life to the, to the end of my life. Alrighty, so now let's move on to the final topic of this episode. Alrighty, so the final topic of this episode I want to get to is forgiveness. The topic of forgiveness. So forgiveness is a topic that is very popular and very key to, um, especially Christianity, it is a very you know key point of of the belief system and all that. But unfortunately, today it's kind of gotten like very dumbed down and not really ignored, but just really misunderstood in a lot of ways. Uh, implications of it and just you know, how people should go about it and everything. So first off, we want to define what forgiveness is. So forgiveness, the word forgiveness, it appears in the Bible about 18 times or so, and the vast majority of them being in, I think, I think at least the word forgiveness, 
forgive. There's forgive, there's forgiven, and forgiveness. Each of those are different words that appear multiple times all throughout the Bible. But forget, but the word forgiveness appears about 18 times, and a good bit of them being in the New Testament. So this is where I'm going to kind of, that's where the definition is coming from, kind of the Greek translation of it in the, in the New Testament. So forgiveness in the New Testament comes from the Greek word aphesis, which means dismissal, release, pardon, and remission of penalty. So is the pardon from something? Is it kind of a release, a dismissal from something? Like, say, um, someone, like, robbed a bank, like a, let's say, let's say it's like someone decided to rob the governor of Georgia. They broke into his house, uh, took a bunch, bunch of his stuff, and took off with it. He was later arrested and put on trial for it and convicted. But then the governor came around and saying, no, I'm going to pardon him. You know, he's completely forgiven of his crime. He'd go about his life. And so that's kind of what a pardon is, a pardon is right there. And that's kind of a one of the definitions, definitions of forgiveness. So forgiveness is a very key part, a very key part for salvation from God and Christianity. Um, without it, we without forgiveness, we would have no hope or anything. And so to really understand forgiveness and the application of it, we have to understand what exactly from what for what has I guess God forgiven his elect? And what has he forgiven us for? And there's only one word for that. Of course, that one word is sin. He has forgiven our sins. His, he has forgiven his elect for their sins. So, uh, let's quickly go to Romans chapter 3. So again, Romans chapter 3. In these two passages, passages I read them multiple times, so... Is nothing new y'all have heard. So this is Romans chapter 3, starting from verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. With their tongue, tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of apps is under their lips, whose mouth, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they not they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And the next one is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, Obviously, the the main what we would be forgiven for is our sins, our sin against God, because due to the fall of Adam, and you know, and all that, um, all of humanity was played by sin. We are all dead in our sin, and there's none on this earth. We are not good whatsoever. We are wicked, <laughs> depraved beings. 
But, but God made a way through Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that we can have our sins forgiven and can be made new. So, we'll quickly let's go through a couple passages there. First, let's go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 53 at verse 5. But he was pierced um, through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, our iniquities, iniquities and, ch- and, chastening, and chast- chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by, and by his scourging we are healed. So <clears throat> Isaiah 53 is obviously prophesying about Jesus Christ and what he had to go through for our, for the forgiveness of our sins and being made new and to um, receive eternal life. So now let's go to um, Matthew chapter 26. So Matthew chapter 6, um, start of verse 27. Sorry, Matthew chapter 20, 20 I believe it's 20, sorry. 26, start of verse 27. And when he, had taken, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And now let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Um, again, Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Of him, all the prophets were um, bear witness, and through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So what does, what, what does this mean exactly? So what this means is, except for, uh, obviously, the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which that is a kind of a very specific kind of sin, that really, if you're a Christian, if you're worried about that, that that means you have not committed it. Because honestly, those who have committed that sin don't even know it and don't even acknowledge it. Trust me, I, I have kind of dealt with that if I committed that sin before. But I've learned over the years, over time, that if you're even if you're worried about that, that means you have not committed it. So, you know, take heart of that. Take heart in that. But with the exception of that sin, of course... All sins, all sins, no matter how bad, no matter how bad you think it is or what you've done regarding it, God can forgive it. As long as, long as you repent and turn and put your trust in Christ, he will forgive you for those sins. And just think, and just kind of think about the implications of this. This is, you know, we are, again, we are just, according to Scripture, we are depraved human beings. There's none righteous, not even one. We are not good whatsoever. But God, the creator of the universe, 
came down as flesh in Jesus Christ and made a way through him, through the Son, so that we can have our sins forgiven, be made new, and receive eternal life and spend eternity with him in heaven. I mean, that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And we did not deserve it whatsoever. So that's the implication the, the implications of forgiveness. That's what happens. And it's very sad that it's been dumbed down. And so, because God has forgiven us, because of, for, for his elect, because of God has forgiven us, we must also forgive others who have wronged us. And scripture, you know, scripture has made it very clear about this. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Um, at verse 14. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. This is in Jesus' uh, Jesus's, uh, Sermon on the Mounds. And again, chapter 6, verse, starting with verse 14. For if you forgive others um, for their transgressions, your heavenly Father, Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others... Then your father will not forgive your transgressions. And now let's finally let's go to Colossians chapter three, verse thirteen. Again, it's Colossians chapter three, verse thirteen. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you so also so also should you. So that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew, what uh, Paul is saying here in Colossians, that because God has, God has forgiven you, you should also forgive others for um, sinning against you, for wrong um, doing wrong against you. And I know there's many excuses being put up. You know, well, you don't know what the person did to me, and all that. You know, you know they did horrible things to me. They hurt me badly, and I can't forgive them. I can't forgive forgive them for that. They don't deserve it. And that very well, very well may be true. You very well, may, very well be maybe right saying they don't deserve my forgiveness. But here's the thing. You got to come to the reality that you don't deserve his forgiveness. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. I don't deserve God's forgiveness in any way. Not even an iota of it. So if God, the credit on the universe, who who can do no who can do no evil, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly good, if he forgive you. For standing against him, why can't you forgive others? Because what you did against him is far worse than what, you, what that person did to you. So, obviously, you know, if someone, you know, from the world, I expect, you know, the people of the world to act like that, saying, well, I can't forgive them, they don't deserve it. But if you're a Christian, then you, your attitude towards forgiveness should change. You should be willing to forgive others because God has forgiven you. 
And the biggest, biggest example I want to kind of um, touch upon, um, this was a story that came out, I believe, this was in 2019. And the actual, the, kind of the story of this um, kind of goes back. This was this woman named Amber Geiger, who was a cop in Dallas, Dallas, Texas, who was coming home one night from a shift, and she uh, went into the wrong apartment and shot shot and killed the man inside her inside there because she thought he was in her apartment and thought he was an intruder and obviously um that was wrong and she was put on she was arrested and charged with murder and sentenced to 10 years and i'm probably sure a lot of y'all remember the hubbub around because the man who was killed happened to be black and the woman was white the cop was white so obviously there was this big race thing surrounding it and all that and whole nonsense. But around October, early October of 2019, uh, Amber Geiger got her sentence for 10 years. And then, but um, during that kind of the penalty phase, there's always this um, penalty in the penalty phase where multiple people will come out kind of as character witnesses saying that how good a person is and kind of, to really persuade, I guess, persuade the jury in one way or another. So, uh, one of the people that went, came up was, um, so the guy who was killed was named was Botham John. And the man who came up was brother Brent John. And, you know, here's what he had to say to Amber Geiger. And Christians, you should really watch this and pay attention to this. So here's the video right here. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not gonna say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do again I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes.
I mean, that, that is just some powerful stuff right there. I mean, here's this guy who lost his brother through a horrible, you know, horrible act. And, you know, he was murdered by this woman. But he had the de decency, and through the power of the Holy Spirit that moved through him, he forgave her and embraced her. And not only that, preached the, you know, taught her, told her about the gospel told her about Jesus and the hope that she has in him. Um that is absolutely amazing right there. That's exactly that that is like almost the perfect example of how Christians Christians should react to those who wrong them. I mean this dude is just on point, obviously a strong believer in Christ a, a Christ, a genuine believer Without without any doubt, I mean that that is just amazing right there. That that, whew, that that's powerful stuff. And this again, it's a big example of what Christians, how Christians react. So again, I repeat, I repeat this: if you harbor any bitterness, any anger towards anyone, for anything, say they wronged you anyway, hurt you, broke your heart. Whether they hurt you emotionally, physically, sexually, or whatever. Whatever case may be. If you harbor any hate towards them for that. Excuse me. Then first off, what you need to do is repent of that hate before God. But also forgive them. Forgive them for wronging you. And preach the gospel to them. Teach them. Tell them about Christ. Tell them about the hope they have in them. In, in him. Because, again, without forgiveness, we would not have no hope. Without forgiveness from God, we'd have no hope. So we ha we should have the obligation and the desire to forgive others, just as God has forgiven us. Alright, so that's for, that's the end of this topic right here, final topic. So now let's move on to the to the book of Acts. So we're finishing up chapter, chapter 10 today. I promise. But as Acts is just a, it's a great book to go through. It's really cool seeing the early growth of the church right here. So again, they give you background of chapter 10 where we've been. So at the beginning of this chapter, we are introduced to a man named Cornelius, who is a Roman satyrian, and he's a very uh, he's pleasing God and prays to him, and worships worships him. So that's it's very cool right there. But he gets um, a visit from an angel, telling him to go find Simon, Simon Peter. And so he ends up going to find Simon Peter and finds him, and Simon Peter t um, ends up telling him about the gospel. And, you know, what, you know, 
and what Jesus came to do and all that. And from there, um, Jesus, I mean, sorry, Simon Peter is talking to a bunch of Gentiles in the area and he ends up preaching the gospel to all of them. So this was the fir first one of the first acts of the gospel reaching into the Gentiles from going from just the Jews into the Gentiles. And of course, you know, Apostle Paul was a big, big, um, <laughs> kind of arrow, or sorry, um, big striving force behind taking the gospel to the Gentiles and all that. So again, we're going to finish up chapter, chapter 10 today. So we're going to start from verse 44. So here it says, here's what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing, hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked them to stay on for, for a few days. Alright, so what happens here? So, where we last left off again, this is where Peter was talking to the Gentiles, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles in that region, in that area. And as a result of what he was saying and everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ, many of them, many of the Jews in the area and also the Gentiles in the area, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were drawn to God and they were saved by him. They're, they repented and their sins were forgiven and they were baptized and became followers of Christ. Which is, of course, an amazing, amazing um, ad right there. And so, again, that's that's kind of again, like I said, this is the first kind of really big instance of the of the Gentile Gentiles hearing the gospel post you know post resurrection. Because I'm pretty sure I'm, I could be very wrong about this. Please correct me. I'm pretty sure at some point in the in the gospels, Jesus does talk to the Gentiles, and because I'm pretty I'm pretty sure at the Sermon on the Mounds, <clears throat> Sermon on the Mounds, there were Gentiles there. So they heard the gospel, but talk about the gospel post-resurrection and ascension. And so next week, um, we're going to be starting in chapter 11. And this is when Peter, Simon Peter, is um, heading back towards Jerusalem. And this is when he um, is getting arrested and all that. And, all that. and so... So it looks like, I mean... Eventually, we're going to be getting into uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, getting into his first missionary journey around the world and all that. So, can't wait to get into that. Alrighty. So, now let's um, go to the good stuff for the week. So, for the good stuff of the week, I mean, it's, I mean, you can say it's good stuff. I mean, it's a great show. That's why I labeled that, labeled it. But, um, what if? So, I'm pretty sure I will talk about this. So, what if is a the newest Marvel show on Disney Disney Plus, and what it is basically kind of gives you these alternate realities from different aspects of different of different movies throughout the um, MCU. 
So, for example, we'll say the first one episode was about Captain America and Winter Soldier. But instead of, you know, Steve Rogers becoming Captain America and all that, something happens to where Peggy Carter actually takes in the serum, serum and becomes, so, so, becomes a super soldier and takes on the name Captain Carter. So kind of sort of like that, kind of these random decisions changes the fate of everything. And, boy, this latest episode was was crazy. The tonal shift that the show, show took was absolutely insane. So I'm not going to give any spoilers, but it was no, it was a great episode. Don't get me wrong, but it was just very heavy. And it tells you kind of the implications of a choice, a choice that you can make can have the consequences of a choice. That you make. And it was about Doctor Strange. And kind of a choice he made. That had massive ramifications. And the episode does not end off on a good note. Right there. So. And what I kind of kind of thought about. When the episode ended kind of. This is kind of what Doctor Strange and Multiverse and Madness. Is probably going to be like. Kind of that dark and depressing. <laughs> depressing. Stuff right there doesn't because it's supposed to be a horror, a horror movie, in some way. And also, remember Sam Raimi is going to be directing Doctor Strange too, so that's going to be very interesting. But again, it's a great show, and I can't wait to see what the rest of the series hold. Um, kind of how it unfolds, because it seems like it's going in a direction where is other all these episodes, all these characters and episode and these episodes are going to meet up somehow. But the multiverse is going to kind of collide and just go crumble. As my guess, but I just I can't fully predict. But it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see what it's about. All right, so that is all we have for this episode. So I'll be back here next week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the Got It For Him Show. If you enjoy this episode of the Got It For Him Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening and watching, and as always, all glory to be to God. Trouble.